Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. A couple of months ago, I had the chance to talk on the phone with my pastor. His name is Jerry, and over the years, if you've been part of Oak Hills for a while, you may have heard Kent or I or both of us talk about Jerry many times. Jerry was both of our pastors uh, when we were in Wisconsin. Jerry became my pastor in 1980 when my family began attending what was then called Grace Baptist Church in Racine, Wisconsin. And because we were a new family in the church, Jerry made arrangements to come to our house one weeknight for a pastoral visit. I was a sophomore in high school at the time, and for some unimaginable reason that has not clarified uh, even up to today, for some reason I chose to sit in on this meeting on that night in our house with Pastor Jerry. My parents didn't make me attend it, And I, to this day, don't know why I attended it, but I wanted to, and so I did. And it was maybe the most memorable and life-changing meeting I have ever had. Not because of what Jerry said, I don't remember anything he said, but I immediately took note of him, his presence, his demeanor, his way. It all caught my attention as a 15-year-old sophomore in high school, and it stirred something in me I didn't even know was stirrable. Jerry was different than any pastor I had seen or imagined existed. He seemed like a normal guy, and that's not what I thought pastors were. He spoke in a way where his faith in God was obviously very real, but he spoke about God in a way that naturally flowed in and out of the conversation. It didn't seem forced. It was obvious from the first time I met Jerry that Jesus meant something to him. Jesus was real to him. And I saw and I sensed all of this soon after he arrived for his visit to our home, and it left an eternal mark on me. It was the first of countless conversations I would have with Jerry over the past 41 years. Jerry's presence in my life has left an eternal mark on me. He is the human reason why I found God. He is the human reason why I started following God. He is the human reason, without any doubt, why I decided to become a pastor. Jerry pastored that church in Racine for something like 35 years, and he retired several years ago. Some of you actually may have had a chance to at least see Jerry. You may have even met Jerry. He was here on the night in 2016 when we gathered together in this room and celebrated Kent's long ministry here at Oak Hills. A couple of months ago, uh, Jerry and his wife Jane were on vacation in Mexico, and Jane sent Julie and I a text to see if we had any time to talk with Jerry while they were on vacation. Of course, we had time. Another conversation with my pastor and my mentor and my friend. So one morning, Jerry and I talked again on the phone. 
We caught up on life. We caught up on uh, his children and on my children. I reminded him of how Sam, our oldest son, 27 years old now, used to waddle into Jerry's office when we were still in Wisconsin because Sam knew that Jerry had Mike and Ike's candy on his desk. And Sam would waddle in and stick his left hand out and do this, and Jerry would give him some Mike and Ike's. Had a chance to update him in that phone call on what's happening in our church here at Oak Hills. Jerry's health has not been good the past few years. In fact, much of his life he dealt with heart problems and an assortment of other health issues. His speech was broken when I spoke with him on the phone a couple of months ago. He's had a few strokes over the past couple of years, and that's made complete sentences very difficult for him. So he says a word here and there, and Jane, his wife, graciously fills in the gaps. And at one point in the conversation we had on the phone, Jerry said in this broken speech, Mike, you know Jane wants me to not talk so much because I can't do it so well anymore, but you know, Mike, I'm a talker, And I'm going to just keep on talking because I don't care if it sounds right or not. It was a beautiful moment with a very beautiful man. Well, that was to be the last of our conversations. Last Monday, I received word that Jerry had died. Last Monday night, the day I heard it on Monday, so Monday night, I went and sat in my backyard by myself. And I thought about my pastor. I thought about my mentor. I thought about my friend. I thought about how well he had lived. How he had followed God so faithfully for so long. I thought about the eternal mark Jerry left on me and on so many others. And I just took some time sitting in that backyard, as we do when someone we care about passes, and I paused and I thought about life. I thought about what it's about, and I thought about the idea of living well. So with that, I'd like to ask you to stand, and I want to read our scripture reading today. It's a very fitting passage. It comes out of 2 Timothy, and it starts in 2 Timothy 4, and it, I'm going to read verses 4 or 6 through 8. So, just to kind of set this up, a long time ago, the Apostle Paul realized he was nearing the end of his life. He knew that he was not going to get out of the predicament he was facing with the Romans. And he knew he was soon to die. And he wrote a very personal and very tender couple of letters to his young uh, mentoree named Timothy. And this is what he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Paul wrote these words, but my pastor Jerry embodied 
these words because he fought such a good fight and he finished so very well. And obviously he was not perfect, but he diligently kept the faith. And now today he's in the presence of the God he loved and the God he followed. Jerry and my wife Julie's dad, his name was Don, they would meet together every Wednesday, and they did this every Wednesday morning for about 20 to 25 years. And Julie's dad, Don, died about seven years ago. And when Jerry died on Monday, one of the things that was in my mind Monday night alone in my backyard is I was wondering if somehow Don, Julie's dad, was part of the welcome team greeting Jerry. We've spent this summer talking about churnings. And before the pandemic hit, the plan was to have about 10 different people speak this summer so each person could talk about the one thing churning within them. But as we all know, for the past several months, the world has opted to not cooperate with our plans. So I have spoken several times about several things churning in me. And if I can just keep it real with you for a moment, at times I have felt like I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel to find yet another thing churning in me. And I can hear some of you thinking, yeah, we feel that way too, Mike. Well, this week, the death of my pastor and friend and mentor has been churning in me. And so I want to use these wonderful verses in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I want to talk about living well through it all. Living well through whatever life throws at us. The challenges we face, the heartaches in our important relationships, the disappointments we carry, perhaps the physical and emotional pain we have, the regrets the problems facing our society, a pandemic, whatever it might be. What does it look like to live well through it all? And Paul gives us a really simple kind of short list of what it looks like to live well in these few words I read that he wrote to Timothy. So I want to give him to three things. Living well looks like first, it looks like investing in other people. Paul says to young Timothy, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Paul's life was a sacrifice he offered to his king and savior, Jesus. Now, before we get any further into this, I want to clarify something. This isn't the perspective of Paul the missionary. These verses I wrote, I don't want us to hear them as Paul the missionary or Paul the pastor or Paul the vocational Christian worker who's in some special category so he can think this way and say these things. But the rest of us who are, quote, ordinary or, quote, normal people, we certainly can't think this way or say these things. We can't brush this off because we might happen to be a business person or a student or a retiree or a homemaker. This is the, pers- the perspective of Paul, the Christ follower. He's laying down a pattern for all Jesus' followers to mimic. This is life lived well, investing in others. Paul's example is ours to follow. Paul lived to bring honor and glory. We might say Paul lived to bring fame to his king and savior, Jesus. And a big part of that meant Paul poured himself out for the sake of others. So they might know this king, Jesus. And they might learn to dwell in his love. And they might 
learn to follow in his good way. I imagine there are some teenagers watching our service today. Maybe there are some teenagers. An old white-haired dude talking is probably not an ideal plan for a teenager's Sunday. But there may be a few watching, and maybe there are a few other younger people, early 20s or whatever, watching. And I want to hear, I want you to hear this. I want to just for a second speak directly to whomever's watching that is on the younger side. When I was 15 years old, <coughs> I was a sophomore in high school, and a Christ follower named Jerry unexpectedly crossed my path. He crossed my path and he changed my life by pointing me to something that was bigger than me. And by pointing me to something that was bigger than my plans for my life. He changed my life, in other words, by pointing me to God. <clears throat> and he pointed at God through his character, through his integrity, through his way of living, through his words, certainly, and through his willingness to invest himself in me and in other people. And I have no doubt at all, long before I was paying attention to God, God in his wisdom and grace brought Jerry into my life to help me start becoming the person God intended <clears throat> for me to be. So again, I just want to say this to those of you who are younger. I'm confident Jesus sees you. And he sees the specifics of your life. He sees and he knows the dreams you have. He sees and he knows the challenges you face. He sees and he knows the disappointments you experience. He sees and he knows the pain that you might be carrying or feeling in your heart because something in life is not going the way you want it. This God we talk about sees you and he sees these particulars. He sees the disrupted life you are now experiencing because of this virus. And I'm confident God has people in your life and around you right now to point you to him. And God has you in the lives of other people to point them to God. So kind of back to all of us, regardless of age, regardless of our age, regardless of our standing or position in life, to live well under God, we must invest ourselves in others. So living well is in part pouring ourselves, pouring our lives out for the sake of other people. Paul invested in Timothy and left an eternal mark on him. Jerry invested in me and left an eternal mark on him. And the question to grapple with a bit today is, who are we investing in for the glory of Jesus and for the glory of his kingdom? Who are we leaving an eternal mark on? One of the reasons I'm so excited about this spiritual uh, friendship slash mentoring ministry we're starting this fall is that it is all about people walking with others, investing in others, pointing them to God, pointing them to his kingdom and sharing their lives and experiences together. And I think it is really good for us on occasion to think back over our lives and remember those who have influenced us toward Jesus 
and toward his way of living. To remember the people who've been with us in hard times. And they held us when we were hurting. But perhaps more, important, point, more importantly, they pointed to King Jesus and to his kingdom. Or remember those people who took note of us for some reason. They saw something in us. We couldn't see ourselves. And they invested in us. And they pointed us towards something bigger than us. Living well through it all involves investing in others. Who are you investing in these days for Jesus' sake? Who are you pointing to God? Who's in your life right now that when you think of them, you think, this person has potential to influence this world for the kingdom of God. Are you pouring into them? Are you investing in them? Are you calling out the good in them? Are you helping them to see beyond what they perceive to be their limitations? Are you helping them see the gifts that God has given them? Who are you shaping for the kingdom these days? That's part of living well. Let me go on to another part. Another part of living well through it all is being faithful in the struggle. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. Fascinating little phrase. The good fight. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had many fights, not fist fights. I've had many arguments in my life. Lots of arguments. Numerous conflicts. And most of them have been a lot of things, but almost none of them have been good. The Greek word for fight in this verse is the word agona. Don't ask me why, but I like saying that word. Agona. It's where we get the word agony. I just love the image. Paul is talking about the good struggle. Paul has said, I have fought the good agony. And he's using a sports metaphor here. Bless his heart. Something apparently effective about sports metaphors and the kingdom of God. This makes a guy like Ted Hansen very happy. Something effective about sports metaphors and the kingdom of God. Paul is calling to mind the image of a stadium where contests occurred, where races happened. And he's saying in a very tender and personal and vulnerable moment, he's saying to his young friend Timothy, he's saying, I fought the good fight. Literally, he's saying, I have strained and given all I have in the good struggle. So Paul is saying to Timothy this, I'm about to walk off the field and out of the stadium for the very last time. And I've left everything I've got on the field. So this is the Apostle Paul with mud on his face, blood on his jersey, bruises on his body, he's got his helmet in his hand, he's exhausted, he's sore, and he's limping off the field and out of the stadium for the very last time, and he tells his young friend, I left it all out there. Now, you may not like the sports metaphor. My suggestion is email the Apostle Paul. You may not like the gritty picture of him 
walking off the field. But this is exactly the picture Paul wants to imprint on young Timothy's mind. And do you see how Paul is investing in Timothy here? Do you see how he's modeling a way of life to him? He's showing him what living well under God through it all really looks like. It's persevering in the good fight. Staying in the struggle for the kingdom. The struggle to proclaim good news to broken people in a fallen world. Staying in the struggle to help people find God, cling to Him, surrender to Him, worship Him. And remember this again. This is not Pastor Paul or Missionary Paul. This is Christ follower Paul showing you and showing me how to live well through it all. Persevere. Keep going. Stay in the good struggle. One of the striking features of the New Testament is the reality of the struggle. And you've heard people say this. I have as well. Well, isn't Christianity really pretty simple? Hear this really loud and really clear. No, it isn't. It really isn't. It is really pretty complicated. Why? Because following Jesus and living out the kingdom in a fallen and broken world just simply is not simple at all. The restoration process of creation, the whole creative order in the process of being restored, human beings like you, like me, in the process of being restored, and all the twists and turns along the way is not simple. And you know the struggle is real. The Christian experience is not a simple formula. Pandemic, fires, temptations that are strong, sins that we fall into, difficult relationships, and how is the kingdom at work in these difficult relationships? The aging process, The losses we experience when we get sick or our bodies don't work like they used to. Where is the kingdom in all that? How do we persevere in the good struggle through all that? Persevering in the good struggle. Following Jesus in the struggle to live out his kingdom. Living in the kingdom in the midst of all these things. When life isn't going the way we want, we persevere. We fight the good fight. For the glory of Christ, we stay in the struggle to honor Him and to follow Him. Lastly, as we think about living well through it all, it's right here in these instructions, these tender, vulnerable words that Paul gives to his friend Timothy. And it just comes in this short phrase, finish the race. Living well involves finishing the race. Starting is usually easier than finishing. Just think about it. It seems to work in almost every aspect of life. Projects around the house. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the next thing. Three weeks later, when are you going to finish this? When are you going to finish that? When are you going to finish the next thing? Hiking. Going to go on a hike. Let's go. Let's make it a tough one. Let's get. Okay, here we go. 
starting. Oh boy, this hill is steep. This is long. When are we going to finish? A book. I like to read. I'm into reading. I'll read a book. Open the book. First chapter. First few lines. Eyes get heavy. Fall asleep. Three weeks later. How's that book coming? Great. The first paragraph is awesome. Haven't moved on. Starting is easier than finishing. So Paul again, tenderly, vulnerably, personally, to his friend, I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And then he says this, And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Such a powerful word to a young Christian leader. I finished the race. Now, there is no one way to describe what finishing the race or finishing well means. I I just don't think there's like one prescription to say, well, here's what it means to finish the race. Here's what it means to finish well. I know it means a lot more than just get to the finish line. I know it has a lot of implications for those who aren't even close to death. But I don't think there's just one way to describe what finishing well means. But Paul gives us another clue in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He again is with people he loves, the Ephesians. Very tender toward them. He's being very vulnerable because he loves them deeply. And he says this in verse 24. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Think about that. Think about the makeup of someone who says that kind of thing. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. He's saying, you know what, my agenda doesn't really matter. Because my goal is to finish the race and complete the assignment Jesus gave me. It seems then that there's something about finishing the race that involves knowing whose we are and knowing why we are on this planet. And I would suggest this is the bigger story kind of stuff. This is a vision for our life in God's bigger story. This is the kind of stuff that Jerry was pointing me to. And again, this has nothing to do with being a pastor, missionary, anything. This has to do with being a Christ follower. You start to realize there's something bigger than just my life. There's something bigger than my goal. It's a vision for a life in God's bigger story. And a vision for my role in God's bigger story. I just want to throw a couple of these verse, or phrases at you out of this statement of Paul's. I'm going to just let them hang there, and you'll sense where the blank is. And it might be worth thinking it through. How would you fill in these blanks? My life is. 
Paul says, worth nothing to me. What do you say? Paul says, my only aim is. What do you say? Paul says, my only aim is to complete the task Jesus has given me. You ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what task has Jesus given me? You know, sometimes God puts people in our lives who help us understand what this life is actually about. Jerry was one such person in my life. He lived what we're talking about out. Didn't do it perfectly, obviously. But he lived this stuff out. This stuff was in his being. And he lived it out. And if someone were to say to me, what one word captures the essence of who Jerry Worsham was, the word I would use is faithful. He loved his wife. He loved his children. He loved his grandkids. He loved to travel. He loved strong coffee. He used to love muffins. But his aim, his goal, his purpose was as long as I knew him, It was God-centered. His passion was to follow and honor his king. He gave a sermon a long, long time ago. He was talking about the way the Israelites, the, the way God wanted the Israelites to go forward. And this just, this just landed on me, and I've come back to this so many times. He was talking about how God was inviting the Israelites, and us to go into the future. And this was the line Jerry said in that sermon. He said, God was inviting the Israelites to walk backward into the future. Look back at where God has shown up, how God has been faithful, how he has come through again and again, and you walk backwards into the future Because the confidence of God's presence allows us to go forward. I had this picture in my head the other day on Monday of Jerry, who spent a good portion of his life walking backward into the future, having heart problems, but he walked backward. God is with me. God is faithful. He walked backward toward those heart problems and through them. Walking backward into his retirement... It was difficult for him to let go of being the pastor of a church. He walked backward into that. He struggled with it. It was painful. But he walked backward knowing God was faithful. He had these strokes. They affected his speech. They affected his body. They affected his ability to live. He walked backward through these strokes. And I had this picture in my head on Monday of Jerry walking backward And getting a tap on the shoulder. And he spins around. And Jesus looks at him and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for men like Jerry. I honor his name. 
today, his memory, his life, his example. I thank you for it. I thank you for the way you used him in my life to shape me. I thank you for the way that he left an eternal mark on me. And I thank you that he is free and celebrating and rejoicing. And my prayer for myself and for Travis and for Stephanie and for Oak Hills Church is that whatever is stretched out in front of us, that we will be people and a church that fights the good fight the good struggle that we will do our best we will give our all we will strain and we will struggle and we will wrestle for the sake of the kingdom and we will leave it all on the field and I pray that we will finish the race and I pray that we will finish well and we know we can't do this by willing ourselves to do it in order to do this we need your help And so help us to live well, to finish well, and to be welcomed into your kingdom, your eternal kingdom forever. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.